everyone. My name is Sean Carter. You're here for episode 15 of the Ethi Awards, our weekly homage to the best of the worst of legal ethics violations, and more importantly, just general ethics. That said, we're going to get started immediately. Hopefully you know how this goes. We've got categories and movies. Our first nominee is in the category of worst love scene. These are always fun. The movie here is The Pickup Artist. Let's play a clip. Hi, my name's Jack Jericho. Um, has anyone ever told you that you have the face of a Botticelli in the body of a digger? Forgive me for intruding on you like this, but if I don't stop you now, I may never run into you again and may never have the pleasure of knowing who you are so that we can fulfill our destiny together on this planet. I mean, can I be bold enough to ask you for your phone number? Write it down? Right. Are you serious? No, I have a photographic memory for everything that's important to me, and if your phone number isn't the most important seven digits in the whole cosmos, then I don't know what it is. Look, I must run, but let me assure you, this is only the beginning. And here we have an Indiana lawyer, and he's attracted to his client. And he decides, hey, I'm going to go for it. And so, as we read here, he sends her a series of sexually explicit text messages indicating that he liked to do all of the explicit and sexual things with her. Now, please understand, as your host, as your BFF, I looked everywhere I could. I looked even in some of my personal files, maybe I sent it, I didn't know, to try to find out exactly what this lawyer said. I know it had to be bad, and here's why I guess it was pretty bad is because the client was so upset about it that she went to the bar. My guess, I've never been a woman, but my guess is that women are used to being hit on kind of a lot. That's kind of how men work. Most of you listen to this, you women, you've been hit on three or four times since this episode started. All right, I'm gonna hit on you two more times. All right, that that's a thing. And so from my experience, most women can handle being hit on respectfully. They'll say, hey, I'm not interested. That's pretty much how it has to be. Trust me, I've done it dozens of times on the not interesting part. All right, that was pretty much all of high school for me and most of college. All right, so I, and I'm familiar with this. Unless things have changed, I, I, I get it. But this had to be really bad for a grown woman to say, you know what? You are so disgusting. I don't even want you to be able to eat anymore. I don't want you to be able to feed your kids. I'm going to the bar. You nasty. And I've come to this conclusion because we have this case every year in the Ethi Awards. Some lawyer who is obviously trying to break this rule about not having relationships with a client, but does so so badly, so clumsily, that that in and of itself is offensive. And I'll give you an example. Just in last year, so the 2020 Ethi Awards, we have a lawyer who, on his birthday, texts the client. I guess they'd been friendly. He said, hey, it's my birthday. What are you getting me? And she said, you didn't give me anything for my birthday. He replied, well, it's not your birthday. It's, it's my birthday. And she thought that was kind of clever. I did too. And she said, okay, what do you want? And he answers her question very tersely with five letters. And if he had been asking for an actual feline companion, it probably wouldn't have been so bad for him. It's not what he was asking for. She knew it was very explicit. It was so explicit, in fact, that I've been married for 28 years and uh, I'm not asking uh, that way. 
even I'm begging. I'm, that, that's not, I, you. You ask that way. You're you're not getting um, any in, any of what you ask for. Right? We ask that that poorly. So obviously there is a <laughs> reading the room part here, part here. But more importantly, the thing that this lawyer in Indiana is going to deal with, or had to deal with, is that I don't think he asked that badly. The lawyer I just told you about before got like a two-year suspension. This lawyer only gets 30 days. So what he said couldn't have been too, too bad. But the problem the lawyer has is that he's thinking, hey, I'm not breaking the rule. The rule says you're not supposed to sleep with the client. She said no, so I'm fine. Not realizing that, no, we have another rule that says you're not supposed to attempt to violate the rules. And oftentimes, sometimes in this context at least, an attempt, right, of you know, swinging a miss is treated just like as if you had done it. There's no reason to treat you any better because the other person had the good sense to say no to you, right? It's not usually how this works. You didn't pull up and you know not do anything more. You just simply got, got shut down. Here's the thing, it's easy. And I don't know why I have to tell men this every week, but I do, it's my literally my job is explaining this to men and let's do it by math. My get my estimations are somewhere between 3.6 and 3.7 billion women on the planet. At any time, as a lawyer, as a man, you're only representing, what, 10 of them? Now I went to public school, so I can't do the math. But earlier, I had one of my kids try to, you know, do the Singapore thing. He carried a one, divided by the hypotenuse. I, like I said, I went to public school. I don't know what the numbers are. But you know what? I, I do know that there are plenty of other women uh, you could date that you don't represent. This lawyer in Indiana is going to spend the next 30 days doing the math. So hopefully he'll get the hypotenuse right and make sure, you know, he does the sum of the square side and, and all of that stuff. But I do want to remind all of us that, one, trying to do the wrong thing isn't going to be much better for you. No matter what the rule is, no matter what your profession is, trying to steal the money but, you know, not getting your hands on it is only, <laughs> right, a matter of small degree better, right, than stealing all the money. And actually, sometimes you get punished more because not only were you wrong, but you're bad at it, right? No one wants incompetence and immorality. Pick one. Kopi Luwak, the rarest beverage in the world. Take a whiff. Kopi Luwak. What do you got against Kopi Luwak? Too fancy for my tastes. Oh, yeah. Too fancy. For my main man, Ray. <laughs> Still drinking that fancy coffee. What? I'm obsessed. <laughs> Read it. Kopi Luwak is the world's most expensive coffee. Though for some it falls under the category of too good to be true. In the Sumatran village where the beans are grown lives a breed of wild tree cat. These cats eat the beans, digest them, and then defecate. The villagers then collect and process the stools. It is the combination of the beans and the gastric juices of the tree cat that give Kopi Luwak its unique flavor and aroma. You're shitting me. 
Cats beat me to it. That was, of course, a scene from the movie The Bucket List with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. Its connection isn't obvious to this case at first, but I promise it'll get there. The category is the AT&T Award. This is the award we give for every year for lawyers who don't reach out, reach out and touch the client. And by the way, we're talking metaphorically here, right? Using communication. And two ways this usually happens. The most common way is for the lawyer to ghost the client. Just simply not call them back. Most often because you don't have good news for them or you have no news for them. You didn't do what you said you're going to do. So you're hiding out hoping, you know, <laughs> maybe there'll be 28 hours in tomorrow so you can get this done and, and call them back. And every day it's obviously getting worse. It's getting harder to call back. The other way is not to ghost the client, uh, but to choose door number two, Monty. And that's what this Massachusetts lawyer did. He took on a dentist as a client, and the dentist had sold his practice to another dentist, but afterwards thought that he'd been ripped off. He wanted some more money out of it. And so he wanted to sue the dentist and the appraiser they had hired after the fact. Now, this isn't a strong case ever, usually, and certainly this case, the lawyer knows it. This isn't a situation where you have some poor, you know, uneducated person who couldn't possibly make this decision dealing with some financially sophisticated person. It's dentist on dentist crime. You're not going to get Bono, right, to get all of his rock star friends together and do, you know, dentist aid. So the lawyer knows that he has a problem here, uphill problem, and the court tells him he particularly has a problem because when he files a lawsuit, the court throws that stuff out. (laughs) that's ridiculous however the lawyer is scared all right to fight to call the client and tell him this maybe because he knows that this client likes to sue people like for instance maybe he'll sue him for taking his money and filing this ridiculous lawsuit that got immediately tossed so the lawyer decides to take advantage of the fact that the lawyer has a terminal illness and this brings us back to the bucket list nomination so with this terminal illness, the lawyer decides, hey, he's going to lie to the client. All right? He's going to tell the client that, you know what, we filed the lawsuit. All right? The lawsuit is going on. It's pending. And we're you know, filing this motion. We got a, a settlement conference tomorrow. We got a negotiation, an arbitrator. They're, they're coming close. I think they're coming close to getting us the deal. Now, he does this for a period of three years. And that is why I know no, 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 in my heart that this lawyer has a terminal illness. He figures he's going to die next year and it'll be over. Now, I have no evidence that the lawyer is at all sick. There's nothing in the transcript or anything that says that. But I know this because I have raised children. And all of my sons at some point in high school developed terminal cancer. I was scary. It was, it was stage four. I, I knew it had to be because I would sit down with them, look at the report card. And I'd say, son, how long do you have? You couldn't have possibly thought that you were going to live to see this report card. And you certainly knew the consequences that were going to happen. You could see this in your future. You would have fixed this unless you thought you were going to be gone by now. I, I, son, I'm, let me just hold you. All right. And, you know, let's say goodbye together. 
because I know you can't possibly think you're going to live the rest of your life doing silly stuff like this. Apparently, uh, whatever my kids had is contagious. And by the way, they're all in remission, but this lawyer um, isn't. I have to conclude that he has a brain tumor. It's affecting his cognitive reasoning because this is the dumbest thing. How is this ever going to get better? You're lying to a guy about a case that's been dismissed. How does it get better? Does the dismissal fairy come and somehow fix this? This isn't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And remember, this doctor has been waiting for three years. He's not going to forget next year. All right, this is his thing. The only thing that's more amazing than the lawyer spending three years telling this bad lie to the client is that the Massachusetts Board of Bar Overseers found out about it. The lawyer finally has to fess up. And they say, you know what, you're right, we've got to punish you. And they give the lawyer a reprimand. And just as a reset, you know that the most severe punishment is disbarment. Or you can get suspended for some period of time. That's a pain. You've got to stop practicing, tell all your clients to go find someone else. They may or may not come back. Sometimes you have to get a new job. That's a bad thing. But a reprimand is kind of like, look, all right, don't do this again unless lying is easier for you next time too. In a sense, what Massachusetts said was, these things happen, what are you gonna do? Uh, you could have done more. You could have suspended that fool. Uh, that, that's what you could do. Because at this point, it was worth it to him. He got three years of relief from dealing with this problem. And all it cost him was three years down the road, someone going, tiss, tiss. Boy, I'd like to marry the Board of Bars Overseers. Because I wish I would try that with my wife. Lie about my whereabouts each night for, say, oh, I don't know, three years. Finally come clean, say, you know what, yeah, I've been sleeping with your sister and your brother, okay? You know what, I'm not getting a reprimand. Uh, I'm getting on a ventilator. Uh, I'm also going to be jealous of those who have COVID and on the ventilator because at least they're not going to have a Jimmy Choo wedged up their behind to boot. And seriously, one of the problems we have in self-regulating professions, like law and medicine, is that even when other professionals are willing to acknowledge that their colleagues have done something wrong, we aren't always willing to enforce enough consequences to make the distinction meaningful for the person. Right? So you say, oh yeah, you were wrong, but you have no punishment, no sanction, does it really matter? Hello. Uh, it's 9 a.m. Do you know where your daughter is? Who is this? I'm the guy that done Booster. Sorry, I can barely understand you. Daddy, they got me here. They want money. You understand now? I will not pay. Is that clear? I will not pay. Daddy, please! They're gonna kill me! There will be no money. Is that clear? Sir, your daughter might die because of the way you handled things. It's not my fault. And uh, I don't care anyway. The title of our next nominee, as you could hear, is the movie It's Not My Fault and I Don't Care. Uh, this is a movie starring Alan Thicke from Growing Pains fame. I don't think any of you saw the movie. It was easy to pick the movie for its title. And here's why. We have a North Carolina lawyer uh, who's practicing law while suspended. Uh, he's not paying his taxes and he's violating a family violence protective order. In a nutshell, he's a stalker. But not just a stalker, he's proudly so. When warned that he's in violation of the order, he responds with, I'm breaking every court rule known to man and I don't care. See where we got the title? By the way, 
That's what he said in writing, in an email. That's how much he doesn't care. He even shows up at a place where his ex-girlfriend is staying, and when they ask him to leave, he doesn't. Instead, he writes F-U, and by the way, he spells it out, all right? F-U on the front door. Now, I don't know what he used to do the writing. I, I don't want to know. I don't think you want to know either. Uh, the poor woman finally has to call the police. They have him arrested. He ends up pleading guilty to four misdemeanor counts. One of the challenges for the Academy in this situation was to actually pick a category for which this nominee could go in because there were several. Um, his actions are particularly uncongenial. We have a category for that. Um, they're also quite a bit pit bullish. Uh, he, he won't let go. We have a category for that. They're also really dumb, and we have lots of categories for that. But in the end, the Academy went with the Outlawy Award. This is the award for, for lawyers who break the law. One, it's the most likely basis for which this lawyer would be suspended. Remember, he's been convicted criminally. Uh, more importantly, there's a provision in, in the ethics rule that is so important for lawyers to understand. By the way, it isn't just lawyers. We all really should try to avoid the criminal law. By the way, even if you're white and you're not going to go to jail, here's why. Because it's, there's some limitations you're going to have on the rest of your career if you have a criminal record. If you work for a company, a big company, public company, you want to one day rise and be right, chief muckety-muck. Uh, on the quarterly reports and annual reports, you have to say our chief muckety-muck is a jailbird. And that is hard. People don't always want to put that in there. So they might not want to have you on the board. There are reasons in which you want to keep your nose clean for everybody. But particularly for lawyers, we have a Rule 8.4b. And that makes a criminal violation also an ethics violation. Well, usually. And we discussed this a little bit last week. The crime has to somehow reflect on a lawyer's general fitness to practice law to be an ethical violation. But there's another part of that rule that is buried in some of the commentary. Now, the commentary is the extra stuff that they put into a rule. As you know, legal rules tend to be very vague. Don't do anything stupid. Right? It is, is a classic legal rule. <laughs> lawyers are not, right? Think about it. Commit a criminal act that reflects adversity on the lawyer's honesty, trustworthiness, or fitness as a lawyer in other respect. What does that mean? That's why we have commentary. So the commentary says, okay, we thought of this, and here are some of the things we're thinking about. We talked last week about how they said, nope, adultery, that's not one of them. We're not thinking about that. But one of the things they do think about is they say that even crimes of minor significance, when considered separately, can indicate indifference to legal obligation, i.e., I don't care. And that expression might be cute on a designer jacket, okay? Um, but that sentiment will never, ever, ever, forever, ever, ever fly in a court of law. Why? Because when you say, I don't care, what you're saying to the court, to the bar, is, I don't care what you say, you're not the boss of me. Uh, you ever tried it with your mama growing up? I know you didn't try that with your daddy, because you're still here to be able to listen to this podcast. And even as an adult, it's never wise to let the boss of you hear you say, I don't care. Because if you do, they have to make you care. That's how they stay the boss of you. It's, it's literally in the job description, right, to make you care. This complaint from the North Carolina bar is hot off the presses. 
the ink was still smudged all on my screen. All right, so we haven't gotten very far in it. But my guess is that someone is gonna be experiencing his own growing pains uh, for about six months or so uh, in a little while. And my guess is hopefully after six months of Ubering around drunks on the weekend, uh, he's gonna start caring. You talking to me? You talking to me? Then who the hell else are you talking? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the f do you think you're talking to? Oh yeah? Huh? Okay. Huh? Of course, that was that classic, iconic scene. You talking to me? You talking to me? Right? Scene from Taxi Driver, starring Robert De Niro. It's another nominee. We got two now in the Outlaw Award category. Uh, but this case should be fascinating to out lawyers, out dentists, out hairdressers, out homeless, and you're gonna see why. It involves a New York City attorney who, until recently, was known, and I'm not making this up, as the Taxi King of New York. He had the robe, the scepter, bad teeth, everything, a tabloid. He was royalty, at least in the cab community. <laughs> Interestingly enough, he goes to law school, passes the bar, and doesn't practice law. But he, he's licensed, but he goes into the family business. And the family business is owning taxi medallions. And I think you're familiar with this. Your city might have had these until fairly recently. But the medallions basically served as exclusive license. And so they would be limited. In New York City, everybody couldn't drive a cab. Even if you painted your car yellow, you couldn't be out there unless you had the medallion that proved that you had paid the money and so that you were one of the rare license holders. And that became a very valuable piece of property. It's interesting because the medallion is something that literally goes on the cab. You bolt it on or you don't want to lose this thing because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Most often, if cab driver owned the cab and had a medallion, he also didn't have a house. You can't get two mortgages and you could literally get a mortgage for these things. They were very valuable. This lawyer goes into the family business and dad's been doing well. Dad has like 60 medallions and as a result, he has 60 cabs. What happens is he obviously can't drive 60 cabs at a time, right? That, that, that's not how that works. But if you own a medallion, you put it on a cab, and then you can get someone to drive your asset around for you and make the money back that you spent on a medallion. Sonny Boy is really good at this. Wheeling, dealing, talking to other people, etc. He's got some things in this, you know, that look a little uh, shady. But here's what I do know. He goes from 60 medallions uh, to 900 by 2015, he's got 900 of these things. They're selling, like the year before, at a million dollars a pop. Yeah, I know you went to public school, I'll do the math for you. We're talking about, about $900 million, almost a billion dollars in you know, medallions. Now that is, uh, he's rolling, okay? The problem, unfortunately, is a little something called Uber. Well, and Lyft. And they come on the scene. And New York is one of the places that holds out longest. It says, you know, we've been selling people these exclusive licenses to have their cabs here. We're not gonna let you just, you know, come in here, your Subaru. But eventually, 
everybody likes the Subaru better than the cabs. I've been in the cab, trust me. Subaru smell a lot better, all right? Um, and as a result, eventually uh, they say, you know what, do you, Ubu, all right? Go ahead, Uber, Lyft, go on in there. Now, this is a real problem for the people who paid a million dollars for an exclusive license to drive people around in New York City, and now everybody can do it. Needless to say, they're suing the government for two and a half billion dollars, which they should. They should win. How are you gonna sell someone an exclusive right to something and then let everybody else use it for free? That's not how anything works. Right now, I'm in my office recording this. I don't own this particular piece of property. I pay a landlord a certain amount of money every month, so I have exclusive use of this space. But imagine if I come back in on Monday, all the doors have been removed, there's a petting zoo in the lobby, um, or worse, it's a daycare, um, all kinds of things going on. Uh, my, my landlord says, hey, Sean, you can keep working here, all right? You can keep doing what you're doing, but these people are also gonna be here too. And do yourself a favor, try not to disturb that beehive, we put it underneath your office desk. Now, I just told you all that, not just because I love to talk, and obviously I do, but more importantly, because I wanted to give you the context. The context here is very, very important because of what the lawyer does in response. And you should be able to see what the lawyer's thinking and how he gets to this point. He owes millions, like tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars that he has borrowed to finance so he could buy these medallions and have this huge right, fleet of cabs. And now he's got a problem. The medallions are worth they're supposed to be worth a couple hundred thousand. I don't know who is still buying them. Why would you? You can just get your own Subaru out there. Why would you ever have a medallion in a cab? It's yellow. Who wants to drive on the weekends? But hey, whatever it is, it's worth way less than he's paid for it. And he's borrowed the money. He's got to pay this money back. And the lawyer is literally having all kinds of financial problems. You're talking about losing your shirt. He lost his shirt, pants, socks, drawers, feelings that out of his teeth, everything. He is not even really able to keep the lights on. Now, by the way, he also is not living in an $800 you know, a dollar a month rent-controlled apartment. He's having trouble keeping mansion lights on. But still, I mean, he's not going to go back to, right, to living like you and I. And so you know, his, his mansion, he's only able to live like three-quarters of it at this, at this point. And he's losing a quarter like every year. He's trying to cut back on non-essentials. And one of the non-essential expenses he decides to cut back on is that per-ride municipal tax that's tacked on to every fare. You sometimes see on your receipt, like $1.35, I don't know what it is. His cabbies are collecting the tax, but he's not turning over to the state because one, he needs the money, all right? He only has so many two fillings, and two, I'm sure he's thinking, y'all still owe me two and a half billion dollars up in here. I'm not keeping this money, this is only a million. It's, it's still a million too much. And that's why this case is important for us to grapple with and understand something I think is important to understand. Write it down. Rules is rules. Mm, that's good preaching. I'm going to say it again. Rules is rules. Now, that's bad grammar, uh, but, but that, that's good teaching. And what I mean by that is when you have a legal obligation to do something, in this case to remit the tax collection to the state, it doesn't matter if it's fair, right, fattening, causes gingivitis. As my Nana would say, uh, you can't do right by doing wrong, baby. Uh, and in this case, he's doing wrong, baby. And this doesn't just apply to taxicab royalty. 
This applies to us, 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 us little people too. The little, obviously, are taxi cab people. Now imagine that you put your life savings into this thing. You owe a million dollars, right? And people are out there, <laughs> right, undercutting you, you know, in in the you know Toyota to sell. They still make that car. I can imagine you thinking, I'm not turning over a dollar thirty a ride to you, right? We're already eating top ramen now. But you know, what? you have to. If you want to be able to eat anything, you've got to do it. This applies to you. Forget cabs. You got a brother-in-law. And he's borrowed your power tools, right, since the first season of American Idol. And he keeps promising to bring them back, but doesn't. You know that doesn't mean that next time your niece and nephew come over, you can hold them for ransom. I'm not sure why you would. I have nieces and nephews, and they need to go home. Or more seriously, right? Let's say, for instance, in your company, your boss has promised you a raise, but, quote-unquote, the paperwork hasn't come through yet. You've been waiting for months for this. That, that, the extra three, four dollars a week that they've cheated you out of. Does that mean you can start making up the difference with office supplies? Are you selling computers at your weekend, quote-unquote, garage sales? Of course not. And, and, and you know that. And my guess is that this guy knew that, too. He knew he wasn't supposed to keep the million dollars. But losing your life fortune might you know, change some of your uh, feelings on morality. But here's the problem is, if you lose that perspective on your ethics or morality, it's going to be even more hard to rebound, particularly if you have to do so from, say, jail. Not the bounciest of places. And this guy, that's where he's headed. He's already been convicted. He certainly isn't headed back to the courtroom because he's been disbarred in New York and New Jersey. And remember, New Jersey's lax. The last person to get disbarred in New Jersey was Aaron Burr, and he shot Hamilton. At least that's what the play told me. That said, you get my point, right? Very difficult when you feel like you've been cheated, etc., to keep the moral high ground, but you don't really have a choice, right? They started it is never going to be a defense. But what will be a defense is me ending it. And I'm going to end it right now. We'll see you next week, people. And finally... If you're a lawyer and you need your CLE, don't hesitate to get it from Mesa CLE. This is your comedic legal education, but it still counts as CLE. Mesa, M-E-S-A, CLE.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, please feel free to go to Patreon.com. Either look us up at Mesa CLE or the Ethie Awards. And we thank you so much. See you next time.